0: Now, Psalm 118.26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. We are indeed in the house of the Lord. And this morning, I, I would hope that you in all sincerity, with a genuineness that comes from a heart that is filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, our blessing, truly blessing he who comes in the name of the Lord, blesses Him to whom we belong, and we have been purchased by His lifeblood. The city of Jerusalem, as we consider the day that we just read about in Luke chapter 19, we consider Jerusalem in the city. Tens of thousands of people are entering in from all over, coming in from the north, the south, the east, and the west, Tens of thousands of people pouring in from all over. There's absolute excitement in the air. There's there's joy. There's all these songs that are being sung. The songs of ascent going into Jerusalem that were commonly sung on the way to Jerusalem. They're also anticipating because they have now come to know Jesus over the last 3 years that perhaps he is our deliverer from Roman oppression in fact the pharisees said this in john 12:19 you see that you are gaining nothing look the world has gone after him even they were acknowledging hey, listen, the world has gone after them, but they were going after them for the wrong reasons. We know that, right, in hindsight. But we know that Jesus came to testify of the truth, which he did so, fulfilling prophecy over 75 times. Zechariah nine. 9 in fact, what we just read is a fulfillment of, Of prophecy, Zechariah nine nine says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, as he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By the way, Zechariah was written over five hundred years earlier, and here it was being fulfilled. For three years, we know Jesus had taught. As we have learned, He also corrected those religious leaders that had taken the law, the Word of God, out of context. He performed miracle after miracle, showing that He was the Messiah, the Son of God. He had authority, and He taught with authority. Remember that they had confronted Him, and they were asking in their own hearts, the people were, the religious leaders, who is this that teaches with such authority? authority. You see, that wasn't common in that day. You taught in the name of a a rabbi. You basically parroted whatever it was that was told to you. But not Jesus. He came teaching with authority. If we back up a little bit, we consider the days leading up to Palm Sunday. How it was that Jesus had gone to the home of Mary and Martha and he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And we know, according to John 12, 17 and 18, that this was one of the major reasons why it was that so many people were gathering around him. The, The reason why they were following him was because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Imagine that if you were living in that day, you were curious, you were dumbfounded, you were awestruck by some of the events that had taken place, people being healed, People being raised from the dead. Thousands have been fed by a little food. But Jesus' entry into the city of David on this day in this manner was not set up by the people. They're not the ones that set up the whole event bringing him into Jerusalem. It had been For ordained, it had been set up and planned by the Father. He had come to fulfill the Father's will. What had been prophesied and declared that He was the Anointed One. He was the promised Messiah. The crowd was so impressed with everything that they had seen. In John 6.15, in fact, they said, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king... Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, the crowd sensed that Jesus had the bearing to be the long-awaited king of Israel. He will one day reign on earth. But it wasn't set for this time, this moment. They wanted an earthly king. A king who would sit upon the throne of David to deliver uh, them from Roman oppression. And later, as we consider even the days leading up to the crucifixion, his crucifixion, Jesus would tell Pilate this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. John eighteen thirty six. It's a good thing. As you consider this world and its fallen nature and how it is that it's corrupt and it's decaying, At some point, you long for a home. You long for a glorified body. You long for God's glory. You realize, oh, this indeed, I don't don't want this world. I, I want something that is far beyond what we have here. You see, Jesus' kingdom is indeed not of this world. But his kingdom is for this world. He offers it to this world. It's an offer of salvation. It's an offer of forgiveness. It's an offer of redemption. It's an offer. That we don't deserve. But he offered. And he was able to offer it. Because he himself. Laid down. The offering through the unblemished Lamb of God. And through Him, this offer can be made for this world. Today, just as then, the world is looking for an earthly Savior. And if we consider the events that have been taking place here as of late, leading up to this very day, we know that the earth is absolutely ripening for the Antichrist, for someone who will come And save us from all our troubles. Right? From everything. Listen, we need to stop looking for the Antichrist and simply keep our eyes fixed on the Christ. He is our Savior. No man is our Savior. Not a one. Not any earthly person will relieve us. Will bring us peace. Will relieve us of our pain and suffering and tribulation and trial. In fact, Jesus forewarned us, telling us that in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. About 4,000 years before Jesus was born, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 about 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah prophesied what well, we have already read and what has been fulfilled on this day. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Can you imagine in that day, if they were to have considered the fulfillment of prophecy, how much different their rejoicing would be because the prophet wrote this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is He humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How wonderful in this moment that this prophecy is being fulfilled. Today is considered the day Passion Week begins. Think about the love of God and how he demonstrated it through his son. This is the day that we have come to know as Palm Sunday. That is why as we have these palms um, in the entrance and up here on the stage, we're reminded of that day when all the people were laying the palm branches down before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They're welcoming him into Jerusalem I picture in my own mind's eye just the Mount of Olives, the brook drawn going through down below, the Garden of Gethsemane as you're going down to the right. And then across you see the eastern wall. You see the very place where God himself provided himself a sacrifice. So Jerusalem can be seen just beyond the Kidron Valley. And Jesus calls for his disciples to bring him a donkey that had never been ridden. And Jesus did indeed ride into Jerusalem on this donkey. Salvation has come. Salvation come for you. Do you know salvation? It was on this Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It was on this day also that he wept for Jerusalem. And it's on this day that he he cleansed the temple. Let's begin with the king entering Jerusalem. We read that in verses 28 through 40. And as we consider this, uh, we need to also understand that as I said earlier, Jesus prepared his disciples in the days leading to his crucifixion. But we also understand that his disciples had mixed feelings. Mark chapter 10, verse 32, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to them. Think about this in in our own lives today. Some of you are just starting out. You just got married. You're hoping to have some kids if you don't have one or two already. You have your whole life ahead of you, right? Or you're young and you see your whole life ahead of you. You have... Goals. you have plans, you have all of these things that you want to accomplish and fulfill in your life. You want to accomplish these things. It's, you know, Lord, come quickly, just not now. And it's true. Because you think about the things that you want to accomplish, right? You you are... You see the things around you and, and you think, well, it's bringing fear to, into many hearts. The world is driving fear or attempting to drive fear into your hearts. The world is doing a great job of doing that, especially over the course of the last two years. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. In that discipline, we need to consider these things that we have before us. Remember what I said as far as the Apostle Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's mixed feelings. If you're truthful, there's there's mixed feelings. Would things in your life be handled differently if you truly had A heavenly perspective would they would it really matter much other than to fulfill God's will in your life come what may can you imagine if we all said that come what may Lord I simply want to do your will fine you will like the apostle Paul go through much You'll be imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead. Oh, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. Well, maybe you haven't experienced that and you won't experience that. But you'll experience other things. Is it for you as we fall under the authority and the governance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? For to me to live is Christ. You see, Christ, as we know, did not live a life that was without trials and opposition and tribulation, did he? Not even our Lord. If it happened to him, it'll happen to you. It'll happen to me. Why are we amazed and afraid? Why were they amazed and afraid? Listen, these examples are before us as they were before them. Jesus had just healed a blind beggar by just his word. Jesus had a discussion with a rich young ruler. And then Jesus encouraged his disciples. What's impossible with man is possible with God. He said, "It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God." Mark 10:25. Jesus had just told his disciples after James and John asked if they could sit at his right hand and his left hand when he comes into his kingdom, his kingship. And in Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus enjoys a meal with Zacchaeus where Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus did and said many other things that would naturally cause fear, both fear and amazement in the hearts of those who were following him. See, again, as we consider these things, for us, it's hindsight. We shouldn't be in the same place as these apostles and these disciples We should be approaching this with a full understanding and knowledge of exactly what is before us, right? Shouldn't we approach it differently? But there is one more thing that he said that would be especially amazing and fearful all at the same time. In Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. In fact, what was Jesus' response to Peter when he was rebuking him for saying these things? What, what did he say? He said, oh, you are, you are just lo- so loyal to me and trustworthy, you know? You, you're amazing, Peter. No, remember Peter has a foot-shaped mouth, right? Right? <laughs> You know, take comfort in that. Please take comfort in that. Because I I don't know how many times, you know, my mouth has been shaped like my foot. Because I put, put it right in there. No, Jesus spoke truth to him. He said, get behind me, Satan. Imagine that. They didn't get it. But again, for us, as we look at this... We cannot, we should not be in the same place where the disciples and the apostles were. We cannot. Why why would we be? We're approaching this with full knowledge. Hopefully with understanding. All of these things would eventually come back to them. All of these who were following Jesus, once these things took place, he was glorified and ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the father regarding salvation jesus said to his disciples after having the discussion with the rich young ruler jesus looked at them and said with man it is impossible but not with god for all things are possible with god mark 10:27 the king of kings the lord of lords he is our god he is our savior With God, all things are possible. That is salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. His grace and mercy we have come to know and possess completely. Oh, what joy should fill our hearts with that. May you all be stirred up this morning as you consider who it is that we worship and who it is that we have placed our hope in. Jesus had been laboring, preparing his disciples for what was to come. They were still without understanding. Do we find ourselves in the same place? Still not with understanding. Our lives reflect that, whether we do or we don't. And Jesus sends these two into Jerusalem to bring back a donkey to ride in on and They found the donkey just as Jesus had said. Again. His word. Perfection. The disciples spread palm branches and their cloaks on the road before Jesus. It was an entrance fit for a king. They believed Jesus was to deliver the Jews from Roman rule and be their king on earth. Just as Ray had said One moment they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and not many days later they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, enchanting chanting this before Pontius Pilate. I hope we're not as fickle. I hope we don't do the same thing. In a way, maybe not outwardly, not with the same words, but we're doing it, by our own actions our responses the way we we conduct ourselves rejoicing and praising broke out on this descent down the mount of olives and going into the kidron valley rejoicing and praise broke out verse 37 as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. By the way, it would be wonderful, it just gives glory to God, if we were just like, not concerned about how well we sound in the ears of Bill. But we just sing our hearts out. Why? Because we're not not singing for the person in front of us. Again, you know they were rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Listen, we've seen and come to know, and we know his faithfulness. How much more should we not be rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice? Loud voice. Let's drown out Ray and the worship team as we conclude this morning. All right? Okay. <laughs> well, they praise Him with a loud voice, out loud for all to hear, unashamed, unhindered, without any concern for who would be offended or how radical they would sound. Oh, that's a, quite the charismatic church there. It's like, we should be excited. About our king. We should be excited about him. What, but for, for this group. What did they rejoice and praise God for? And this is very clearly. For all the mighty works. That they had seen. Again we need to ask ourselves. What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you come to know? The apostle John may have fellowship with us. And and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. For the Apostle John, his his joy would be complete knowing that more people were coming to Christ and more people were coming into uh, communion or fellowship. Being one in Christ. The Apostle John was one of those who were with Jesus at this time and was with Jesus at his crucifixion and had seen Jesus perform miracle upon miracle upon miracle. He knew who Jesus was and was one of the people who were rejoicing and praising God for all the mighty works they had seen. He confessed it and he declared it as we just read in 1 John. Again, as we consider our rejoicing and, and really the position of our hearts before God, do we rejoice for our King? Or is your rejoicing and praise of Jesus conditional? You know, praise and worship is so important. Have you ever been just down? And just a a song comes to mind. You can't stay down when you're considering God. Oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have done. And you go on and you consider how awesome he is, how mighty he is. He indeed is undefeated as we sung. There is no one like him. There's no one above him. He is the Lord of Lords, He is the King of Kings. Our rejoicing and praise of Jesus should never be conditional. It's in those low moments that we should consider His glory we should consider His grace. We are to acknowledge the things that God does for us and who He is and and is continuing to do for us as He is faithful, beginning with salvation. As, As I go back to that day in my own life, I can't help but rejoice, knowing where I was before, knowing that my future was secured without Christ, forever being damned in hell and knowing that he has plucked me from the flames of eternal damnation and has set me in the heavenly places in Christ. I can't help but rejoice. C.H. Spurgeon said this, And yet I suppose those disciples had their trials as we have ours. There might have been a sick wife at home or a child withering with disease, close quote. That's all true, we know that. Why? Because as we consider this room and the number of people that are in here, we have the same things. It's no different. And yet, they were all rejoicing and praising God. But in the midst of it all, this is is why the withdrawal of worship, the... um, Neglect of worship, the denial of worship, is a work of Satan. Because this is what happened. This was the king's opposition. Verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep on praising and I'm going to keep on worshiping the Lord. The enemy tries to stop the worship of God. Why? Because he wants to be worshipped. And as we stop and turn our attention away from the Lord, guess what we're doing? We're giving Him that place that should only be given to the Lord. There is nothing like rejoicing, praise, and worship that gets the attention of the enemies of God. Nothing like it. Hey, listen, you're praising God. Things are going well as far as you serving the Lord and all that. And then the enemy comes and tries to steal that. Steal your joy. Stop you from worshiping and praising God. In fact, in John 12, 19, as we read earlier, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Yeah, so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they all wanted all the attention on them, and they they wanted the people to follow them. Oh, if the world would go after him, that would be wonderful. For God desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God desires. Oh, if the world would just go after him. God's people are in the right place when praising Jesus because their hearts and minds are on Him. They go to Him. They trust in Him. They are content in Him. They find comfort in Him. They are forgiven in Him. And no one can change that. No one can take that away. You want to you get out of a state of depression? You ever felt depression? It, it's an ugly feeling. Start remembering. This is what helps. Start remembering God's faithfulness, His love for you, how He has delivered you from the consequences of sin, how glory awaits you. Start singing His praises and see how long you can stay down. You can't stay there. You just are persistent, you're steadfast. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of your faith. But Jesus answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In, in Psalm 148, verses 7 through 13, it says this, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, uh, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. In Psalm 96 verses 11 and 12, it says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. You look around and everything is reflecting the creator of the universe. Singing his praises. The king enters. The king weeps. And when he drew near and saw the city, verse 41, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, we, we know, did not enter in on a horse, which speaks of a king who rules and leads in battle. He wasn't there for that. He wasn't a, a man of war in this moment, although he would confront in no victory over sin and death. But he comes in on a donkey, which speaks of a man of peace. He is indeed, of course, the prince. Of peace. And even upon entering the city of Jerusalem, Jesus knew that the people did not truly know peace in Jesus Christ. And as he looked over Jerusalem, again, if you consider just the terrain and you and you see everything there, you know how it is that Jesus at that very place could overlook Jerusalem. And in that moment and in that place weep over Jerusalem. You see, Jesus demonstrated a deep concern for the lost. Even his people did not know the time of their visitation. Do you know the time of your visitation? Do you know know what this moment means to you? Do you come with great expectancy? Do you come with the intention of worshiping him, uh, serving him, giving him, ministering to him? For he is worthy to be served. You know, we have to come to a point, church, to where we're coming not so that we'll receive. You'll receive plenty. You'll receive plenty. But if we all come with the mindset, the heart set, that we are here to serve him. We are here to give of ourselves. In fact, isn't that worship the offering of ourselves? Does the worshiper come to the altar with nothing? Or does he come with the sacrifice? of the heart does he come with something the worshipper is of no value whatsoever if he comes empty handed right Jesus wept we didn't we need to consider and acknowledge the lord for who he is you see they did not know the things that make for peace For us, we need to answer the question whether we do or not. And is that expressed in our own lives? Is that proven by our lives? It broke Jesus' heart to know that they were hoping for a Savior that would deliver them from their earthly troubles. But at the same time, did not understand that he was there to save them from eternal damnation. And Jesus knew what they would experience Trouble without peace with the Father. This was not a, just a, a tear or two that were trickling down his face. This is absolutely just sobbing, weeping for the people. When was the last time you, you wept? Not for yourself. But for the things that break the Lord's heart for the things that you desire to give to him and feel like you come up short time and time again his heart was breaking at the knowledge of the people's rejection of him not because he needed acceptance but because they needed to know salvation to truly know the peace that has come near Again, Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This was the day that Daniel had prophesied about that Messiah, the prince, would come into Jerusalem. He said that it would be 483 years from the day of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the day the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. Guess what? Four hundred and eighty-three years from that day, this was fulfilled. And look, back to Daniel nine twenty-five if you're taking notes. It was fulfilled to the day. Psalm one eighteen twenty-four says, "This is the day that the Lord has made; let us rejoice and be glad in it." Just as God has ordained that day for that to take place, know this: God has ordained for things to take place today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Although they did rejoice on this day, they didn't understand how it was that Jesus desired to reign in their lives, in their hearts. The king enters, the king weeps, and finally we know that the king cleanses. Verses 45 and 46 says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The king enters, the king weeps, the king cleanses. We know that Jesus' love is not just in an outward expression as far as tears are concerned or thoughts or wishful thinking, but in actual action. And righteous action. Yes, he entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and he received the people's praise and he wept, but he also cleared some things out that needed to be cleared out. He set some things straight, and this was in the temple, again, the place of worship. There are things in our lives, you know, uh, Jesus, our King, enters. He sometimes weeps over the things that he sees. And then his whole intent and his desire is to clear those things out. You see, Jesus is not tolerant of sin. In fact, he came to settle our debt for sin. He confronted it face on. And he defeated it with his own shed blood to atone for our sin. And so in that temple, in that place of worship, Jesus drove out the thieves and stated that a place of worship is a place of prayer. A place of communion with God. Not a place of commerce. Not a place where it's, it's about you, but it's about Him. And in, in that being true, we know that God blesses and He fills. And we know our contentment and that peace that surpasses all understanding. Because in the end, that is exactly what the Lord desires for us. That in Christ, we would know that peace that surpasses all understanding. We will find our fulfillment, our contentment. He will truly be our all in all. This is how Jesus, the king, entered Jerusalem and demonstrated his love for the people. The king enters. The king weeps and the king cleanses. Hosanna. Save, I pray, save now. I would hope that if there's anyone who needs to number one, recommit your life to the Lord. I remember that moment. I, realized, I knew I had to recommit my life to the Lord. I realized I had turned my back on the King, my Lord, my Savior. I needed to run back to Him. Perhaps this morning you need to recommit your life to the Lord. There's no zeal in your, your life. There's, there's no passion for the things of God. You find that perhaps you're distant from him. He's not distant from you. You are from him. You understand that. There's no desire even to pick up the word of God. There's no desire really for fellowship or to serve him. Perhaps this is the day that the Lord has appointed for you to recommit your life to him. Or perhaps you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You know how you surrender your life to Christ? You just yield your whole life to Him. You know, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I know it sounds very simple, and it actually is. You see, you can do nothing for your salvation. He offers you salvation. Knowing that if you remain in your sin, you remain condemned. That's your choice. But of course, the desire of God is that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Perhaps this is the day of salvation for you. Pray that you would take full advantage of this moment. That you would turn from your sin and run to Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Give you a new heart. You will be a new creature in Christ if you completely yield to him and surrender to him. For the church, I pray that you are stirred up we we all need to get fired up. You know, you know what that term means? It's it's excited about the things of God. It's it's passionate about Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We've been distracted with much. We've been like Martha, really busy doing stuff. And have failed to take that that better place at the feet of Christ and then reflect that in our own lives. Hey, listen, they laid palm branches in their clothing before Jesus. But Jesus actually desires that instead of palm branches and clothing, that we simply lay down our very lives before him. That we may truly know life eternal and look forward to a city that is eternal. in the heavens with him. Palm Sunday is a king's welcome into Jerusalem, but it's not a city that Jesus se- seeks to conquer for the people. Not in that day, not today. But rather that all would know that he has conquered sin by his shed blood and by grace through faith in him he desires that all would come to no salvation. The king of kings desires above all to reign in your life. Has he gained entrance there? Has he made that journey have you surrendered opened up your life to him to come in and cleanse things out that don't belong to make you a possession an instrument that he is used for his glory today let us rejoice for the savior has come and he saves and he alone is our hope for jesus said i am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me In Acts 4.12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it's C.H. Spurgeon that said this, It is a mark of Christ's presence when the church becomes enthusiastic. We sometimes hear complaints about revivals being too exciting. Perhaps the censure is deserved, but I would like to see a little of the fault. This age does not generally sin in the direction of being too excited concerning divine things. We have erred so long on the side that perhaps a little excess in the direction of fervor might not be the worst of all calamities. At any rate, I would not fear to try it. Close quote. You guys ready to try it? It's Palm Sunday. Your king has arrived. He is here. Our hope is here, and he is sure. The most important salvation that anyone can know is not a temporary salvation. One is eternal, secured in the heavens. No one can take it away. Let's rejoice in God and in his son that was sent to deliver us from eternal damnation. He is our salvation and he is our king. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son. Lord, we know that this life is not easy. But Lord, you have, you have come that we may know a deliverance, Lord, from our sin. Not from our circumstances, Lord, but from our sin. Pray, Lord, that we would see your grace, your love in Christ Jesus and surrender, completely yield our lives to him that he may not only be our savior, but but govern us, lead us, that he may be our glory. And so, Father, do with us what you will, whether it be salvation, a recommitment, a stirring in our own hearts, a building up of your people, encouraging this local fellowship we called Refuge. May you be glorified here on this wonderful day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.